Welcome to Soul Conversations, a podcast where two Korean adoptees unpack what it means to be Asian and adopted by discussing culture, race, history, and sharing adoptee stories. I'm Shanae. And I'm Benny. And on this week's episode, I'll be sharing my adoption story and answering some questions that people might be wondering. Before we get into that, Benny, how's your week been? It's been good. Work's been good. Work's been busy. Um, we're supposed to get a big snowstorm this this weekend, so excited to kind of get hunkered down and watch TV. Same thing I've been doing since COVID any day. <laughs> so <laughs> how about you? How's your week going? It's been good, too. I know the snow is crazy. I feel like everyone said the weather was nuts when you live in Colorado, and I didn't fully believe them until we went from the the 70s to the two feet of snow in the last week. Yeah. And, I, and you lived in the East Coast. You got you got some snow in the winters, right? I did. We're, we're hardy people. We're used to the snow. We're not used to the not plowing that seems to uh, happen here. But <laughs> yes, <laughs> the snow is definitely nothing new. Last week, Benny shared his adoption story, and this week we'll get into mine a little bit. Like I had said in our very first episode, I was adopted in 1989, exactly on my half birthday. My parents, from what my mom tells me, had always talked about adoption as being an option for them to start a family. I think even when they started dating, that was a discussion that they had had. And my mom knew someone who had adopted a baby from Korea, and that had sort of piqued her interest in adopting a child from Korea. But she personally had some health issues. Um, She had some major surgeries around the time that I was adopted. And it was those sort of medical complications and that situation that led them to officially decide to adopt. My mom was, she's retired now, but she was an elementary reading teacher. She was used to working in school. She really loved being around kids. My dad is a very hardworking individual. He's also now finally retired. I feel like it took forever for us to get him to retire, but very much blue collar. He took some community college classes, but he didn't pursue a degree. He got hired at UPS as a driver at a young age and the pay was good. The job was secure and that's what he did. He worked up to be a manager and then he later switched. He bought a bread delivery route for Pepperidge Farm and he did that through my late middle school, high school years. Um, But he's always just been working really hard and I think instilled a good work ethic in me growing up, that's for sure. Uh, But they're also both white. My mom's family is Hungarian. Uh, My grandmother is or was, she's passed away now, very traditional Hungarian. And my dad's family, I think, is just from England, France, some combination of those two. And obviously I'm Korean and I was adopted through Parsons Agency in Albany, New York. They are non-religious Um, They actually aren't doing Korean adoptions anymore. But from what I understand, it was a very lengthy process. There were, you know, meetings that had to happen. There were home visits. There was a lot of paperwork. There were, you know, expenses that had to be paid. And I've never asked my mom how much it cost for them to adopt me. I think part of me is curious, but at the same time, like, I just feel a little bit icky about (laughs) knowing sort of the price tag associated with adopting me. They don't think of it that way, but I sometimes struggle. 
But my parents were also, they were married almost 10 years by the time I came. So my mom was late 30s and my dad as well. So they were together for a long time. And my adoption was put on hold, actually. They had filled out all the paperwork. My mom said they were so excited. And then everything came to a standstill for a couple of months And I think that the process didn't assign them a specific child at that point yet. So they didn't know that it was me coming per se yet, but they knew that a child was coming Mm -hmm. to them. And it got held up because in 1989, the Olympics were in Seoul. And Diane Sawyer at the time, I guess, did a news piece that talked about how all of these Americans were adopting Korean children. And it was supposed to be a feel-good piece from the American side and, you know, in hindsight, very sort of white (laughs) saviorism-like. And Korea got mad. They didn't like the fact that it was being publicized, kind of, and this connects to your story a little bit, Benny, they didn't like the fact that it was becoming common knowledge that they as a culture or a society would not adopt their own children. So it was this interesting contradiction that Koreans didn't want to adopt Korean children because we were branded as unwanted or undesirable, especially if we were born out of wedlock. But they didn't want the shame associated with outsourcing their children either. So it was very interesting and everything kind of just got held up and they didn't know if the adoption was going to be canceled. It obviously wasn't, but that was really a hitching point in my adoption process. I was raised as an only child. I never asked why I was an only child, but I also wonder, and they've never suggested that this is the truth or anything, but I know that my childhood and raising me was very difficult. I was definitely somebody who had really severe anxiety. I had depression and attachment disorder that surfaced when I was really little. Um, I guess I was a pretty happy baby, but around like two, three years old, things started. I think I was just more aware. Maybe I had more feelings. Um, My mom was a stay-at-home mom, and my dad was working and traveling a lot for work. So it was just me and her. And she was kind of left on her own to navigate my emotions and my tantrums and the counseling and the advocating. And it was just a lot. So I'm very thankful in a way that I was an only child because I can't imagine adding another child to that particular dynamic. Um, And just thinking of her and, you know, her own mental health and her own experience as a mom, I think that it would have been a lot to have more than one child at that time. I guess thinking about my childhood, you know, I do have very fond memories of my childhood. I would never say that I had a bad childhood or that I regret my childhood. There were a lot of good things. You know, I had friends. um, I had a lot of great opportunities and activities, but I also would be lying if I said there were no darker trying times. I think in addition to mental health, I struggled with some peer relationships. I had a lot of trouble, not academically, but socially in schools. I switched schools a lot. Really navigating that identity piece was hard. And I think a lot of it, looking back, that my parents weren't necessarily prepared in the way that I think more adoptive parents are prepared now. I know you had talked to your mom before, you had shared your adoption story, 
And I had similar conversations with my mom, especially right before I filed the paperwork to find my birth mom last summer regarding what kind of prep she and my dad had to do before adopting a child from another country. And she said that there were, I think she called them cultural classes that talked about general things like your child might not be fond of their crib because in Korea, they tend to sleep on mattresses on the floor or your child might not be used to sitting in a car seat because that's something that's unfamiliar or their days and nights might be mixed up because of time zones. But there was no, I mean, this was the late 80s. Like there was no talk about oh, make sure your child has racial mirrors and, you know, that kind of thing. And also there was no there was no internet, there was no social media. I mean, my parents lived in Lansing, New York. They graduated from a high school with like 75 people in their class and pretty much everybody was white. It's like a farming community. And, you know, I don't fault them for not having that information, but it was just the reality. They navigated the best that they could. And I think they provided as much as they could. But the truth was there just was not a lot for them that they had at their disposal as a resource. And, you know, I I blog about my adoption and I've shared my story finding my birth mother. And as I've opened up more about it as an adult, I think similar to you, I've done so truthfully, but cautiously, because I am aware that they are as much a part of my story as I am. And I would never want to paint them in a bad light. I don't feel like they were bad parents. I don't regret anything. I don't fault them for anything. And they have also expressed that they wish that they had done some things differently. I was just telling you before we started recording, you know, my dad said hindsight's twenty twenty, and absolutely there are things that now knowing what they know, they probably would have tried to do different things, but you do what you can at the time with what you have available. And that's what they did. And I think none of us regret me being adopted. We don't regret us being a family. I think that's something that really bothers me is when people say, oh, you can't say negative things about your adoption because you should be grateful that you were adopted or If I have anything negative to say, going to the other extreme and saying, oh, you regret being adopted. And that's not it at all. Like you can hold space for loving your family and appreciating the good things, but also just acknowledging that just like with any family, it's not perfect. There are things that go wrong, but it doesn't mean that it's black and white and that you either wish you were adopted or you don't. So I definitely embrace the gray area and embrace the idea of both. And I think my parents do too. Yeah. And I appreciate you sharing your story. A lot of these things I've hearing for the first time and just trying to listen to every word that you're saying and think you had a lot of important things to say. And I appreciate you talking about this. Has any of your feelings about being adopted changed over the years? You hit on a little bit about your early childhood, but has your perspective changed now that uh, you've had some time to think about it? Yeah, I mean, as a kid, I would say I think there are two distinct shifts. As a kid, I was always told whenever I had asked my parents, like, why was I adopted? Or I think even in more kid terms, like, why didn't my birth mom want me was the way that it got voiced more often than not. And we had pretty limited information about my birth mom. We knew that she was 25 when she had me. We knew that 
She didn't have an education beyond sixth grade. And I think that there might have been like a small piece of paper that said she had a round face and liked handicraft. (laughs) Uh, Why that information (laughs) was listed, I have no idea. But the story that I was told by my parents, and I guess I shouldn't say story because it's not like they fabricated anything. But what the information that they had told me was always that she was young, she was unmarried, and that more importantly, she gave me up or put me up for adoption out of love. And I think I went through a huge phase where I could not wrap my head around that concept. Because in my mind, I was like, well, if you love your child, you don't give them away. And that played into my relationship with my mom and my dad, because I had mentioned a little bit that I had some struggles with attachment disorder. And when my dad was traveling so much for work and my mom was home at the time as, you know, a four or five, six-year-old, I didn't see it as your father is gone because he's working really long hours to provide for us and take care of you because he loves us. I saw it as you adopted me. I'm old enough to understand that's a choice. Mom is here with me every single day. Where the hell are you? Um, And that, you know, we had a pretty strained relationship, I think, through, oh gosh, high school. And, And now as an adult, we've talked about a lot. We've, you know, I understand as an adult and as a new mom, that nuance of, you know, it wasn't his choice to be away. Like I I understand that now, but growing up, I really didn't. So that's one shift that's kind of happened regarding my adoption. I have kind of come full circle. I don't necessarily agree with telling kids that or adopted kids that they were given up out of love. I think that can kind of really mess with their heads in a way and create a very unhealthy relationship with their idea of love and attachment. But I definitely kind of went went around the whole circuit with that. And I think separate from that, as I've gotten older and really started reflecting, I've found peace with my own personal adoption. Finding my birth mother, having conversations with my parents, now becoming a mom myself, there's a lot of peace and a feeling of settledness that I feel regarding my own story. But at the same time, simultaneously, I'm also much more frustrated and cynical, I think, about transracial and transnational adoption as a whole. The more I learn and the more I pull back the curtain about the systems that are at play regarding adoption, such as the model minority myth or white saviorism or even adoption as a business, the more I really feel uncomfortable with with it. And it wasn't always that way. Like I used to want to adopt kids of my own from other countries. Even when I met my husband six years ago, I had said, I want to adopt kids from all over and give them a home. And I really upheld and believed in that white savior narrative, that idea of give them a better life, just like I had a better life by coming here. But I don't feel that way anymore. We've had conversations about adopting kids and I've really done an about face the more that I've reflected on my own experience and also, you know, done more reading because even though I'm not white, my proximity to whiteness my entire life and also just the narratives that I grew up with around my own adoption were so deeply ingrained that now I've really started to disentangle them. And the phrase that a lot of people use is I've come out of the fog a little bit more and I have definitely had a change of heart regarding a lot of it. 
Yeah, you brought up a lot of interesting things, and there's there's surprisingly some similarities. Um, one of the things that caught my attention was I think my parents said my birth parents gave me up out of love. And I do recall asking my parents several times to, it was hard to ask, but like, why, why, why did my birth parents give me up? And that's never, that's never a question you want to ask because you hate to hear what the answer might be. Right. Well, and it's um, so, in hindsight, it's so hard for them because they don't know. And they don't know. Yep. And then the other piece was, I, I did ask my mom how much it cost to adopt me. And I, I, she told me, <laughs> she told me, and I'm like, wow, I thought it was a lot, but that's a lot. Yeah, I'm not well, gonna, I'm not gonna for read inflation, it. right? <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. Um, so uh, I can laugh about it now, but I do understand like what you meant about that because it might mean something different for you, but for me, it just feels like we are a piece of meat or something to be bought, you know, that's on a shelf. And, you know, this is for someone who didn't love you. Someone else can take it for a cost. Um, I don't know if that's how you feel, but that, that definitely, when you said that, it definitely hit home for me as well. Yeah. Um, I, I'm curious to know, sometimes I often wonder kind of what the sentiment you said of being adopted and, you know, asking why we were given up. Do you ever wonder in any capacity what your life would be like if you weren't adopted? Do you sometimes make up, make believe what it could be or wonder what it, what it could be? I did. And, you know, it's, it's funny that you ask that because there was a time, I want to say late elementary school, middle school, you know, when you're really starting to figure out like identity and you are going through puberty and, you know, everything is just all over the place that I used to create narratives and sometimes tell them out loud to people, which really was not good of my own version of why my birth mother put me up for adoption. Like I would concoct these like horrible scenarios as to why I was given up for adoption like either that she died or that you know just just very extreme things because I think in my subconscious I felt like in order to give up a child like it has to be an extreme circumstance and in my you know 10 11 12 year old brain those were the kinds of things you know it's like things you see in movies like a horrible car crash or a buildings on fire or just like this traumatic like that there was some other force that made her have to give me up or that made it so she didn't even get a choice now having found her, I understand more about both sides. I guess A, I was put up for adoption because she and my birth father were not married. She met him and he had three, so I have three half siblings on my biological father's side and they are all considerably older than I am. I believe they're in their, the youngest is in their mid forties at this point and they're two girls and a boy. And my birth father was very abusive to my two half-sisters, not so much to my brother. I don't know why, but I can speculate why. And I think he also had some struggles with alcoholism and mental health. He would beat my sisters. And my mom decided to move in with them. He was also apparently horrible to his ex-wife. And my mom moved in with them to try and protect my two half-siblings, my two half-sisters. And she wanted to be some kind of a stable force for them, but it didn't unfortunately work out that way because he was also abusive towards her. And I guess from the letter that she wrote, 
my two half sisters were 11 and 15 at the time and knew that she, when they found out she was pregnant with me, they tried to convince her to leave him because they feared for the safety of me and her as well. And they also knew that she wouldn't leave unless they left. So they fled to Seoul. My two half sisters fled to Seoul first alone as a means of convincing her to leave. And then she subsequently did flee herself and ended up at a battered women's shelter. And it seems like from her version, she was told that she needed to put me up for adoption if she wanted to stay there and continue to receive their services. That differs from the little bit of information that we have in paper documentation that we got from my adoption agency. It was phrased more that she chose to give me up because she wanted me to have a better life and all of that. So I would assume that the truth lies somewhere in the middle. Maybe she did say that she wanted to give me up for adoption because she knew that she was not capable of raising me on her own. Um, but also maybe that there was some heavy coercion on the side of the women's shelter. So I think that the truth is somewhere in between those two. But I do know that that was the circumstance around my adoption. And then when I think about what my life would be like if I grew up in Korea, you know, now I know based on the latter half of her story and kind of what what she did with her life after she put me up for adoption, she had a really tough life. I mean, she's in a good place now. She's remarried. She's had three more children, also girls. So I have three half sisters on her side. So lots of siblings (laughs) for an only child. But I know that I wouldn't have had the same opportunities that I did. I wouldn't have likely gone to college or gotten a master's degree or had the opportunity to play in orchestras or those kinds of things that I think people think about when they say you got adopted to have a quote unquote better life. You know, they think of the materialistic things and the opportunities and the finances. But I also feel like, okay, so I had those opportunities being adopted. And again, I don't regret being adopted, but I also personally feel like I paid a very, very high price to being adopted. You know, I also struggled with suicidal ideation growing up still as an adult. Um, It was something that I struggled with. And just really specifically that mental health piece, I think was a huge price to pay and, you know, completely losing my home culture. Like I'm totally divorced from my Korean heritage. It's only been in the last, you know, couple years that I've started to really seek things out. So in that way, it's hard to argue that my life is really quote unquote better here. Would I have had the opportunities that I had in Korea? Probably not. But would I have felt the severe levels of depression or imposter syndrome or any of those pieces? I don't know. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. You know, all I would add to that, so the, all the stuff that you said was, I, I sometimes feel the same way too, is that I am thankful that I was adopted and for the opportunity, but there are many days too where I wonder what life would be like if I was still in Korea. Mm-hmm. And me being in the United States with this quote unquote opportunity, was it the right thing for me? And I don't know either. So it's really, I think for other transracial adoptees or other adoptees in general, I think we've always had that question in our minds of like, what if we had a different life? Mm-hmm. But for me and you, at least there really truly is a different life that we could have. And um, it often pops up. Um, right. And so you did a lot of this stuff 
uh, a lot of this research relatively recently. Um, I think it was done more on your own doing. Do you have conversations with your parents about this regularly? What are those conversations like? Do they seek out conversation with you about race and identity? They, well, I should say my mom and I have conversations about it, usually initiated by me. I would say kind of like you with this, uh, with the election of (laughs) he who shall not be named, there were more conversations. And then really the turning point for my parents and I to really start digging in and talking about what it was like growing up for me, not as their daughter, but as an Asian American woman in predominantly white spaces. We had some pretty frank conversations around that last summer when George Floyd was murdered and everybody started talking about race. And I really had a hard time last summer. And that was part of the reason that I started searching for my birth mom, because I think I was just so desperate to get some answers. I really, really struggled with not knowing where I fit in conversations around race. You know, there would be anti-racism groups and then they would say, okay, split into affinity groups. And I, I didn't know where to go. I didn't know if I went with the white group or if I went with the people of color group. I was very hyper aware of my intersectionalities and the fact that yes, I am Asian, but I grew up shrouded in white privilege in a lot of ways, but still experienced racism. It was just, it was really difficult trying to navigate all that. And in expressing those feelings to my mom, that's really when I think a lot of the hard conversations came up. I mean, I remember saying to her, I know you adopted me and I know that as a family, we really subscribe to the idea that we love you no matter what kind of that colorblind perspective. But I remember... Some of the comments that my dad had made regarding the Black Lives Matter movement, uh, particularly Black Lives Matter versus Blue Lives Matter. And I remember saying to her something along the lines of, does it even occur to him that his daughter is Asian? And because in my mind, I was like, if you're saying these things about this circumstance, you know, I can't be the exception to that. Like you can't be hypercritical of one marginalized group and then just say, oh, but you're the exception because you're my daughter. It just, I really didn't understand. And I don't think he did either, you know, and of course those conversations extended to other family members who would say things like, oh, you're not Korean, you're Hungarian, or, you know, like you don't really count. Um, (laughs) Which is a whole different thing, by the way. Right. It's a totally different (laughs) thing. But that was the first time that I really Mm. talked to my mom and was like, this is not okay. Like we need to have a talk as a family now that I'm old enough to understand a, what it is, name it and advocate for myself. But just we had never spoken so frankly about that until last summer. Yeah. I have so many more questions that I want to ask you, but I feel like we should wait for the for future episodes. Yeah. <laughs> I do wanna I do wanna end on a on, on two questions. My first one is you're about to have a baby in a couple months. Yep. <laughs> um, and and I don't think you need, Yeah, yeah. You don't need me to remind you that. But there's going to be a time where these conversations might have to come up between you and your daughter. Uh-huh. Um, have you thought about that yet fully? Do you even want to? Do you even want to discuss where 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 is that all in your your mindset right now? Um, I'll say we could have a whole episode 
dedicated just to that and like the the thoughts that I've had. Um, I've definitely thought about it. My husband and I talk about it a lot. The short version I would say is I am very aware that those conversations are going to need to happen. And I also, I think, am very hard on myself and wanting to have them the right way. And that it's been quite a process and challenging in a lot of ways for me to get any kind of guidance. I don't even know if there is guidance. Um, There's no book for how you talk about race with your multiracial child because she will be she will be biracial as an adoptee specifically that that addition of the adoptee lens so it's a work in progress but it's definitely at the forefront of my mind and my husband's as well so then in closing what advice would you give other transracial adoptees who might be going through similar experiences as you or might have someone who they know or even maybe their own child growing up in this life First and foremost, I would say do what's right for you. It's not selfish. I think a lot of adoptees are very measured and cautious and maybe shy away from saying their true feelings or seeking out help or people to talk to because they don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. I think, you know, that that narrative of you should be grateful is very strong and adoptee guilt is very real. But at the end of the day, like what you were talking about last week, your life is important and you need to look out for you first and foremost and know that you're not alone and know that there's a whole community and that there are resources and things that are available either through social media accounts or reaching out or listening to podcasts like this one or contacting a mental health professional. And I think to the people who are parents or friends of transracial adoptees, my advice would be to ask to check in a little bit more, like honestly check in, even if you know the answers that you might get might make you personally uncomfortable, but also even more so just to listen, to be there and to genuinely listen without judgment and try to put your own personal feelings aside and defensiveness and just be there as a sounding board for them to tell you their story and what they're going through. Yeah, you know, this podcast was made to share stories, but also to provide an opportunity to be that sounding board. So if you have any questions for Shanae or myself, or want to share your story, please reach out. Follow us on Instagram at Soul Conversations, S-E-O-U-L, or shoot us an email soulconversationpodcast at gmail.com. We're really looking forward to connecting with everyone who may have questions or just want to talk. And Sinead, do you want to talk about what we're going to discuss in our next episode? Sure. Next week, we're going to be taking a deeper dive into race. So we're going to be talking about the model minority myth, the current rise in anti-Asian violence, um, gatekeeping. And we've touched on it a little bit this episode, but discussing race with our adoptive families and kind of how we're navigating these waters as Korean adoptees. Looking forward to discuss and thank you for joining us this week. Have a good one, everyone. Bye.